Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I am a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I am on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join that as well if you would like to engage. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I give my employees more autonomy? According to the Welcome Trust Workplace Mental Health Report, low job autonomy is associated with anxiety and depression for young employees, with the data showing the strongest connection for employees under age 25. This conclusion was gleaned from 227 scholarly articles and from data sets covering over 150,000 employees by a firm named Robertson Cooper. Joining us today to discuss this topic is Kemi Joseph, who is the CEO and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist of Fears Advantage. He is on a mission to help 5 million business leaders advance equity in their organizations by 2030 to create company cultures where people of all backgrounds can work safely and thrive. He holds a bachelor's degree in communication from the University of Miami, along with a master's degree in brain-based teaching and learning, as well as an educational specialist degree in leadership from Nova Southeastern University. Over the past two decades, Kemi has served in several leadership roles in organizations, small and large, including working with multiple Nobel Peace Prize winners to inspire social justice initiatives in over 40 countries around the world. In 2012, he also led a 22,000-mile kindness tour across North America, which taught him the power of human connection to overcome our country's divisions. In a time where so many people are being defensive around race, politics, and privilege, he uses his real-world experiences to lead difficult conversations in an uplifting way that removes shame and blame to foster true inclusion. So today he is here to help us strengthen our understanding of DEI and to make it approachable, actionable, and even enjoyable in our organizations. Kemi Joseph, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that powerful intro as well. I get fired up. I'm ready to dive in. Great. So when we talk autonomy, and boy, here as we as we record this, this show on March 3rd, 2022, the notion of autonomy thanks to events in Europe, has taken on a, uh, a different, maybe an increased visibility in our mm-hmm. lexicon, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in, what we're, in terms of what we're talking about today, what does autonomy mean to leaders? 
Yeah, I appreciate that question, especially putting it in the scope of the worldwide events. And it's kind of wild how we're being impacted by things happening all over the world simultaneously, as well as things happening in our backyard. And so as we as you know, look at the DEI perspective around autonomy, it can mean so many pieces, including autonomy of where you live, how you live, who you are. I think as we talk about it in the workplace here, we define autonomy as the independence to do the work you're hired to do with the freedom, trust, and ownership in your role. And from a, so from a leadership perspective, a lot of the autonomous leadership is what are we doing to empower our team with the, the right authority making power, as well as the giving them the tools and the processes to actually do the jobs without having to come to us for, for everything. And we'll get into this later, but you know, doesn't by giving employees autonomy, doesn't that give us as leaders greater autonomy as well? Absolutely. And you know, some leaders hear a conversation around autonomy and they're like, wait, <laughs> if I give my team more, that means I have to work more. And so it's like, if, if, we, if, if they're listening in the very few first few minutes, yes, if we do this correctly, giving our teams more autonomy gives us more autonomy. And that's a phenomenal way to just anchor the show. So is there a difference in terms of how leaders and employees perceive autonomy? Yeah, I think that with the with the leaders, we're kind of thinking about the systems we have to build and, and the decisions that we have to then kind of reverse engineer to prepare employees to make. I think for employees, they kind of see it more as time or job freedom that they are they're instead of being micromanaged, they're trusted to do their jobs. I think for us as leaders, we're we're both experiencing the autonomy and building the systems that allow for it to happen. Whereas a lot of employees would just kind of see experience the benefit without necessarily um having to build out the systems themselves for, for them to, to be a part of it. And so, you know, you've, you've done a lot of things. You've done a lot of very important work in diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as the other, other spaces. Why this topic? Why are you so interested in this topic today? Well, autonomy is one of 10 non-negotiable equities that we measure when we look at Thrive Leadership. So if we, if we look at the big picture, I'll just say them out loud now so folks can know, but we won't get, we'll only be talking about autonomy today. We're looking at what's called career equities, or the pathway for someone to actually thrive in their career. So it goes from awareness of opportunities to access to those opportunities for the ability for people to participate, then their safety, belonging, resources, development, advancement, autonomy and legacy. So autonomy is at the very high, the very top of this, this chart. If you think about kind of a, the hierarchy of needs in the workplace, the idea of having autonomy is, is very up there, including with the, with legacy, the, the kind of purpose or what drives us to make an impact. And so when we have been doing this DEI work over the last two years, especially, we found that many leaders were saying, how can I give my team the belonging, the safety, the autonomy that they want when I don't have it myself? And when we think about anchoring on, on autonomy out of those 10, it seems to be one that's less polarizing, one that most people can say, yes, I want more of this right there. And, and then now we start talking about what that might look like for the individual leader to have it in order to give it to their team. So that's why it's so important to me. You bring up an interesting point. I want to go off script for a second because I thought one thing that you said, I think, is really smart, and and that is that um, that if you don't feel if you don't if you don't feel like you yourself have autonomy, that makes it hard to grant autonomy to others. 
And I think I understand the implications of that, but I don't want to assume, and you'd say it better anyway. So I'd like <laughs> you to expand on that. What, what, is, what exactly does that mean? For one example in my life is even over the last year, I was working 50-hour work weeks. And when I started my company with Brian and Sarah, who are my co-founders, they were very clear that that's not the life that they want. They, they never want to be working 50-hour work weeks or, or, or killing ourselves to meet deadlines. And then all these things that we used to do in previous jobs we say, hey, we were building this company to be our freedom vehicle. So why why would we do this to ourselves again? And that seemed fine in the beginning. And then we started getting inundated with lots of work. And I found myself working 50 to 60 hour weeks. And it was really intense for me to then support them taking time off or to, to not expect them to work at the same level. Uh, and so as I think about me being the executive in that situation, it was if I wasn't experiencing the autonomy, I, I felt very trapped. I felt trapped in a company that I was building with my co my partners. And so then it was all of this um, resentment towards them. And this this idea that anytime they asked for time off, I saw them like as less than or I saw them as uh, as people who weren't contributing the same. So as we part of what helped to shift that for me is we actually were measuring thriving in our organization. And they saw I had the lowest autonomy scores of all of us as team members. So then we could have a conversation that was more neutral because everything else I was like projecting on them was just baggage. Again, they never said they wanted to work as hard as I was or they were working hard. They just didn't want the, the, the kind of lifestyle that I was living. I didn't want it either. I just didn't know a way out. So being able to measure it and then have this conversation allowed me to own my own feelings about it and then talk to them about what do we need to do in order for me to experience the same autonomy. And, you know, we're about two months in after that conversation. Now, I'm telling you, Mike, we're working 30 hours a week across the board. And it is like a blessing to where I can actually take time off and they take their own time off. And there's there's no there's no more of that. The negative um, thought process or these, these this baggage that I'm throwing at them. In fact, I actually feel like I'm more grounded and present to be with our team for those 30 hours a week. You know that that that's really interesting. It, it it dovetails nicely with some books I've been reading lately. I don't I don't know if you're familiar at all with a concept called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Yeah, EOS. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. so you know EOS. So I've just become acquainted with this. Now I'm banging my head against the wall. Like, why didn't I read this like 25 years ago? <laughs> yeah, shout but out these to them books, for sure. <laughs> but these books by Gino Wickman are are fascinating, and and I just finished or I'm finishing. I should say something called the EOS Life, and one of the exercises they, that the author tells you, Gina Wickman tells you to do in that book is set your hundred percent. What, where, what does a hundred percent mean to you? And to some people, it means 30 hours a week. To some people, it means 65 to others. It means 10 minutes, right? I don't, you know, you don't know, but the point is know where that's set, but you cannot, and this actually does come back to you, I promise you cannot do that without autonomy. Absolutely. If you feel like that's all being driven down towards you, you can't make that choice. And that, that emotionally unravels the entire operating system. Uh, and 1000%. I mean, there's, there's folks who are going to hear this podcast and say, I can't, I, I don't have the decision-making power to, to support my autonomy. We'll talk about that for everybody who's at the very top of the organization. And you have that power, please understand that making that one decision you can you can help people in a way that is is measurable and even immeasurable if we think about time being the one anchor that we all have to deal with right no matter how rich poor no matter your skin color no matter whatever it is we all have to deal with time so for us i want to give a real big shout out to nicole pereira who you'll hear more about later but she's been our coach guiding us through what she calls time as a benefit 
And so she has been doing this so well in her company that she's teaching us how to do it so we can share that information with more folks who are engaging us for DEI services. But from this perspective of doing 30-hour work weeks and the way that it's set up, the, the, the short version is we end up giving people back 13 weeks of their year. So imagine what you could do with 13 more weeks of your year back in your own hands and your own pockets. And I told her at the beginning, I was like, I don't even know what to to do with myself if I'm not working. She's like, get a hobby, start another business, do whatever you want. Just, you know, don't like limit your work. So for us, the hundred percent is the hours that we, we we're maxing out at 30 hours, but you, you, the, the amount of efficiency or the amount of, um, uh, of exponential growth we've had just in limiting our time so we can come with fresh brains has been phenomenal. So the funny thing about autonomy is, Everybody seems to think that it's great. You know, I research autonomy. I've never seen an article that says your, your employees are too free, bring them back. <laughs> right. Never hear that. Right. But we both know there are lots of organizations out there that don't, don't really live a culture of autonomy in the companies in spite of the fact that literally everybody is saying autonomy is good. Mm-hmm. So why aren't, why aren't more businesses? Why isn't every business doing this? What, what's, what's wrong with them? <laughs> oh, what is, I think it's just so driven by fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is literally why we call our organization the fears advantage. We want to help people to take those fears. Right now, some of the fears are if I give autonomy, people are just going to take advantage of me. They're not going to do their work. I'm going to have to do all the work, right? And, and if we're being real, those are fears that are, that are legitimate. So for us, fear stands for fuel equitable actions relationships and systems. So we say, okay, great. If we were going to acknowledge the fear that we believe our team is going to take advantage of us or are going to underperform, let's address that in a way that's actually equitable by setting performance measures, by setting um, by setting standards that are clearly communicated across the board, and then taking the actions and, and building the relationships that allow that system to work. Right? But it has to start with like, us acknowledging. And some folks don't acknowledge it outright they just say oh it doesn't work and they can give us lots of examples that it's not going to work it's like, okay well it is working into your point there's no articles that say don't give autonomy some of them are saying hey give autonomy in this way there's versions of it like not autonomy is not the same for every single person or every single organization so i appreciate you giving us a chance just to talk about what's preventing people we would say it's a fear of it, it actually making things worse and more inefficient versus the 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 pathway people having a tangible pathway forward and and the flip side of that coin i think is also trust oh yeah 100 percent yeah and, and it's, it's wild to ask people do you trust your team or do they trust you right and if we get into that now we're you know when we um, talk about creating work environments where people live safely and th- or can work safely and thrive trust is at the 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 baseline of this and so many people dance around the trust conversation that it is like until we bring it up and say, well, do you trust your team? Then they'll say, uh, <laughs> then we're like, okay, great. If you hesitated, then that's, that's going to prevent autonomy right out the gate. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, you can't have autonomy, but at least then, you know, when, when you ask that question, you're starting to get at the root cause. Right. Um, so you mentioned this in passing, but I want to, uh, I know you're asked this question. It has to be. I'm sure. I know I'm asked this question too. What do you What do you say to somebody who says, "Well, if I give my employees too much autonomy, they're going to be more inefficient." Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your response to that is. I would 
again ask them about so say first of all again thank you for sharing that you actually that's that's what you believe is the is the crux here and then it would be interesting to find out what how are they measuring efficiency right now because i think until we have a baseline of measurement that it would be very hard to actually have a conversation beyond our fears so assuming that they're measuring efficiency then be able to say okay Let's start doing this in stages, right? We're not an all or nothing type of company. We're very much a, a mic, we call them micro progressions. How do we progress on this journey? So if once you have the measures of efficiency, and I say this over and over because so many people don't have performance measures or, um, or do performance reviews until something goes terribly wrong. They don't have like an actual setup, a equitable system. So this is part of the reason they're scared. And they're only thinking about the worst times because sometimes when things go really well, we don't even we don't even clock that on our on our list of, of things that are happening in our organization. We only think about the times where people drop the ball. So, OK, let's actually have a, um, a, um, a equitable system to measure. And then let's start to think about where do we where can we give autonomy first? And so to that point of inefficiency, there is a period, a transition period, just like any new skill. There is a transition period where things may feel like you are doing a little bit more work to set the system up. But after you set the system up and you, you can make sure you're, um, you're monitoring and preparing the system, then it gives you a better sense to actually go forward. And I'll give you an example for our team. We have not been tracking time, right? So we, we started, especially as three executives, we're like, we know we have to do what we need to do in order to get the business to be successful, which is a place a lot of people are in. And so in order to to do this time as a benefit and to get down to 30 hours, we actually have to put systems in place to track our time in different ways than we ever did before, have to report on our time. And that took us about, of that two months, it took us about a month to figure out our transition of how do we start tracking our time? How do we report it back to our team? How do we check in when we are either above or below our benchmarks? And so, yes, that took an extra month. But now that part is done. So, so some part, somebody might say, oh, that's a little bit more inefficient because we have to build a system. But yeah, that's how business systems work, right? We have to build a system that will then allow us to, to continue building upon it. And, and I mean, systems really are, really are the, are the crux, aren't they? I mean, you know, my response, my response to the, the autonomy versus efficiency question is, isn't micromanaging the least efficient way you can do anything? <laughs> the least efficient, because then I'm not doing my job. If I'm micromanaging right. you, what am I up to? <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm literally doing some. I'm literally doing the job somebody else is already doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's being done twice, and you know, in my terms, at a higher bill rate, basically than mm-hmm. it was ever budgeted for. Right. Yeah. So, but it all comes down to systems, and and therefore, it's not just not just trusting your people, but also trusting your systems. Yeah, and being able to review them. Some folks, their systems are not built for autonomy right now. So back to what we're saying for the leader who who is maybe a middle manager or a, a, a senior leader, but not the full executives, they might be saying, oh, some of our policies and our practices, including things around time off, like some of these may be inefficient right now. It's the norm, right? Sometimes we get used to the norm, but the norm is actually inefficient. And there could be a different norm, which would require us to uh, to really review what we have in place right now, if we want to make a shift. I'll bet you when a lot of companies start to make that transition, they may perceive inefficiency. What they're experiencing is discomfort. Yeah. Cause they're, they're not used to getting the same type of there's, there's going to be a little bit of relaxing of control. And if you ask me if I want more control or autonomy, I would say I find a balance between the two, 
were because you know the, we we consider the opposite of thrive leadership to be controlling leadership. So hey, I want to I want to micromanage you. I have to make sure you're reporting at this and this time. All these things that start that if we're if we're keeping ourselves so locked in on that piece, we may not realize we're the ones can we're we're keeping ourselves controlled as well by trying to control other people. So some companies, when we started to look at the autonomy, start to then think about what are anchoring meetings that we all have to be at. Okay, great. Besides those anchoring meetings that we all have to be in, so like to EOS, like level 10 meetings and things that we all have to be at, great. Then everything else you can do on your own time based on um, based on how your organization is set up. At least that's how we found that we operate. We have a couple of overlapping hours, and then from there we can work at our, at our best hours. Sometimes for me that's morning, sometimes I'm a night owl, and I'd rather just do it at 12 a.m. to make sure that I'm in my best zone, to be in my zone of genius, and then be able to create what I can create. So I think there there are ways where people can have the, the the safety and the structure that they know, and we we this is going to be a challenge to expand what's possible in their minds. Are there some kinds of businesses that lend themselves better to autonomy than others? Sure, uh, I think there and there's you know, as we talk about different types of autonomy, right? So I'll, I'll look at you know people kind of think about oh yeah, work from home culture. It's like and then they say well at a bank or at a you know brick and mortar you can't work from home. You have to <laughs> you have to be there. So I think work from home type of organizations uh, I think are going to see some of the greatest versions of autonomy, especially autonomy of location, autonomy of time that you're doing your work, uh, autonomy of you know the the the. I would say the the kind of technology that has to be used to to then do that. I think with brick and mortar folks, right, you do have to have people show up at a certain time within your business hours. There are going to be there's not really autonomy of location because you're all at the same location. Are we giving people an autonomy of how they be of service to our customers? Right. So if we can set a high level of excellence and quality for the customers. Are we allowing people to to even have play wiggle room and how that looks? Or are we asking them to do it? Everybody do it the exact same way. We back to the diversity, equity, inclusion conversations. That would be minimizing folks' ability to actually show up powerfully. Are we giving people who are back to the brick and mortar situation uh, an ability to have um, kind of an autonomy of development, like even how they do their learning and development in preparation to do their jobs? Not necessarily the standard kind of orientations, but allowing people to stagger it and even understand how to grow in the company. Those are just some examples that come to mind as I think about brick and mortar folks listening to this, like, I don't think that autonomy is going to work. What if we also consider there's different versions of autonomy beyond schedule autonomy? Yeah. And, and to that point, I want to pause on that because it, it, it brings to mind an observation, you know, as a customer and, if, and as I look at my, my history of customer resolution uh, or yeah, customer resolution events, the thing that frustrates me the most is when I'm dealing with somebody who has no autonomy, right? Is that if, 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 if my issue does not just conform to whatever policy was written somewhere, right? Then you just can't help me. Right. And that that's frustrating for, you know, wait on hold for 45 minutes to talk to somebody that can't help me right? oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and going into a store, right? The same thing. It's, you know, Getting even going even beyond we you know who really who wants to deal with people that can't decide things for themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, if you had to get together <laughs> with your friends and your friends all the time had to like ask somebody else if they could go out to a movie or to a ball game or something, 
you you'd start asking them less because it's just like you know I just I I don't need the three levels of I don't need the three oh, levels three of administration level to go see see if I can go to see a Hawks game. <laughs> well, and it's it's so wild that we build that. Well, I love the the company the customer service teams that give their folks some parameters. Like, hey, if it's in this parameter, great. Like, you can give them. You know, it, for example, I think about calling my. Uh, phone line i won't mention them but if you know if i have an issue i've i've and I, i've stuck with them for over 10 years because some what well, if i have an issue there are times where i run into that same scenario you just said like okay i literally need to ask them for a manager because there's nothing they're going to be able to do but when there's a lot of minor pieces they've been super helpful and like oh hey we'll you know we'll give you this kind of discount discount or the, hey this promotion is available we have that wiggle room to kind of make your experience better I actually just ran into somebody today who um, who's fundraising for an incredible uh, Earth initiative that I'm I'm all about. They were asking me to make a decision of like signing up for a monthly contribution, like right there on the street. And I was like, "Hey, I just budgeted my my money for the Ukraine for this month. So can I get your information for next month?" You're, uh, totally, I'm happy to give. And they were basically said that they they it's all or nothing. Like in that interaction, they can't get. They can't even give me their information to say, hey, I found out about this to this person on the street. They can't uh, sign me up for a follow-up message. It just has to be all or nothing. And I thought, what a very inequitable way to do fundraising, where this person literally has to, on the street, get people to make a decision to give them 20 bucks for the rest or whatever amount of money for however period of time. As like that is very a poor way to fundraise because that seems like it doesn't give me as a consumer the option to make a choice uh, that I want to make, I have to like make a choice based on their false urgency, right? So I think we we set up structures and we think this is the best way to manage our folks, and we actually might be setting them up for failure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious what you think now. I'm sure you've been monitoring that companies are now. I guess, I guess we're declaring victory over coronavirus. I I don't remember seeing the the surrender papers being signed, but I guess that's happening. And and companies are now trying return to office version three now by my count. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what's your what's your view on that? I mean, how how when you look at that and you see that Google wants their people in the office three days a week, of all people, if there's any company that should be geared to working remotely, it should be them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. makes me wonder about their other products. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, what do you think about that? When you see that, how do you react to that? Yeah, that has been a very interesting version of the DEI conversation as well, as people yep. are seeking to be inclusive of different um, different requests, different lifestyles, as well as trying to return to a version of what they thought was possible or what they thought was successful before. Um, I can't speak for every single company because I don't know what is driving their decisions. I would love some more transparency with what's, what's actually driving their decisions because some of what people have shared is driving their decisions seems more like back to micromanaging versus especially there's there are companies whose teams have had better records being home. So that's the, the, those are the companies where I'm like, I'm really struggling to understand that uh, if your team has actually performed better being at home, why not leave them there? If, if for, for the especially the teams who have that kind of track record, I would say for the teams who saw a dip in their performance and productivity, it can make a lot more sense to bring your team back. Um, so I think there there is multiple struggles back to the the fierce conversation. Some folks 
are not even willing to share with their team the actual drivers. They they start to say kind of blanket statements, and the employees we talked to are like, "Yeah, I can see right through that." They're, it just feels like mistrust, right? And then the control. So if to to from from the outside looking in, I'm grateful that we are um, we've we've decided to stay virtual for our team because the, it, we we already seen the the trust and efficiency that we can we can produce for teams who are who are making that transition back. I would really think about who who's most essential to be back and where's the wiggle room for those who would rather stay home if they're going to be able to produce the same or better than they could in the office. You know, and I hadn't thought of this angle till you brought it up. So I feel compelled to talk about it a little bit. I mean, there is, there are a number of DEI angles in this, right? You know, we get back to fundamental things like access to transportation, Mm-hmm. And we get into fundamental things like access to healthcare, uh, not healthcare. I'm sorry, we're into access to uh, childcare, mm-hmm. um, and 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 also we get into things like presenteeism. Right? There's a growing body of evidence that that employees that work remotely are in effect discriminated against because they're perceived to be not as committed or frankly, because they can't schmooze in real time in the office the way that the people who are present can. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can appreciate that some of that's human nature, but there are a lot of things about human nature that aren't necessarily constructive. So to me, that's not an adequate, that's not an adequate <laughs> yeah. explanation. Um, you know, change human nature if it's not working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and the, it, it is intertwined. It is, you know, the, the the remote work thing, and it's interesting how autonomy and work flexibility sort of do go hand in hand. But I think it's important to understand they're not identical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but boy, I do I do wonder if kind of working from home or work from anywhere, I, I think it's a better term. For a while, it's kind of been the great equalizer, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's given people permission to. I mean, some people have moved states finally. Some people finally say, "Oh, great, I can." do my job really well from anywhere in the world. Wow. I mean, that the possibilities that it's opened up has, has been so transformative. So I think trying to close that lid is going to be very difficult for, for employers who are saying, hey, we just want people back in the office. I love how you said that there is a difference between autonomy and work flexibility. I think some folks are saying, hey, we have a flexible work plan. You can come in three hours, three days and so on. It's some, uh, for us, the difference would be what do you have to do to get the flexibility some people have to jump through a lot of hoops, multiple approvals, all these things that are costing time and money versus having systems in place to say, this is what autonomy looks like in our organization. Everybody has this. And then from there, if you need some additional accommodations, that's that's kind of different than here's the baseline uh, autonomy. And, and as you had, you started the question talking about the all of the kind of access pieces, I mean, even if you have a car, some people were commuting more than an hour each way to work. And now they're at home and their commute is from a <laughs> bedroom to their office. Like for me, bedroom to the office. I used to travel all over the place. It's my commute has gone. So, I've spent hours commuting to go to different client places. I can do that all here. And it, it just gives me much more focus on what I'm actually here to do. And I'm, I'm spending less time with the decision fatigue around, oh, preparing, you said childcare, preparing to, to be on the road, whatever I need to be at the, at the client environment versus, hey, this is the environment we're in. And we're not saying by any means that virtual replaces that virtual replaces um, in person. And, and this is where a lot of teams are struggling because there's, there's a bias towards people who are in person. 
and they're spending more time arguing about getting everyone back into the office versus pausing and say, what if we look at what ways can we bring in the virtual people in a more inclusive way? What are ways that we can actually build relationships that they're, let's acknowledge are not going to be the same. And some people are fine with that. Some people are like, I don't need to go to work. I don't need to know all of y'all like that. <laughs> some people are totally fine with that. It's okay. It's not going to be the same, but how do we make it as inclusive as possible for those of you who want to stay home? A lot of, a lot of companies are not missing that conversation because they're focusing on just trying to get everybody back in the office, which may not even be possible. You know, if, if employees have been working in an environment for a long time with low autonomy, do you have to do some prep work to get them to get them prepared? Or can you just say, walk in one day and say, hey, you guys are all now free to do what you want. <laughs> is, is there is there is it just like that as easy as a switch or do you have to put in some groundwork so that when you you do grant that that autonomy, you actually gain benefits from it? Yeah, I would say the latter. Um, the the idea of giving people access without education can be dangerous if you just walk in and say, hey, everybody do what you want like that. And again, that's what I believe a lot of leaders think autonomy is. I will say, again, our definition is that I have the independence to do the work I'm hired to do with the freedom, trust, and ownership in my role. So that means that the employees would then have to have a greater sense of ownership in their role first and foremost, right? So then say, hey, I have ownership. I can make some key, I can make relevant decisions, right? If we, if some folks believe um, autonomy means that everybody has to be involved in every decision, that's still not true. We're saying the ones that are directly uh, related to my job, back to the customer service metaphor we were using earlier, can I help a customer who's struggling with this problem? If I always have to check in with you, I don't really have ownership in my role. I just, I'm just a, a baton passer, right? All I'm doing is just passing it up to, to the next level. And then as we start to, to look at building the ownership, that requires some processes and systems to be put in place and the trust to be built. I think that notice that though I'm going backwards saying ownership, trust, and then you have the freedom. And most people want the freedom. And we're seeing that like globally where what's happening is that people say, don't tell me what to do. I'm done with these mask, like mask mandates. Don't tell me to get vaccinated. All these things. People want that freedom, but we're not really talking about like the personal ownership and the trust. And and so for us, it would have to be all three of those together. And for anybody listening, I would be asking them to think about which one do they think they need to work on first for their team to build this out in phases. So thank you. That segues very nicely in the, ne- in the next question. And that is how do leaders need to prepare for autonomy in the organization? What do leaders, what muscles do leaders need to build? What education do they need so that autonomy is workable? Yeah, I appreciate that question. First, we say leaders, we always say this phrase, assess instead of make a mess, right? Check in on your own levels of autonomy as a leader. Because back to what we said before, there's some leaders who, who already stopped listening because they're like, I don't have autonomy. Like they just shut it down already. So they would need to check in on on actually measuring their levels. And we'll talk about a free self-assessment that we have that they can use to do that. The idea is, is first and foremost, check in on your own levels of autonomy and understand what has created the parts that you enjoy and what you believe is preventing you from having the autonomy so we can work on it, so you can work on those pieces. And I, the, the reason we call it Thrive Leadership in, in our programs, because as we help leaders ex- experience that and start to thrive, they give themselves more permission to give it to their team. Like we, we, we found that the groundswell, like bottom up approach where, uh, you know, employees are demanding autonomy without, with leaders who are not experiencing it. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. 
it's it's been a stall. It's been a stalemate kind of conversation. So instead, we're saying, leaders, if you're struggling because you don't have this, let us help you have it, experience it in your current organization so you can give it to your team. So that that would be the biggest mind shift is assess where they are and and better understand what's helping them have the autonomy or what's preventing them so we can leverage those 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 um, blocks in order to be able to actually support it in their organization because they get they get a sense of freedom along the way. Autonomy may or may not necessarily be for everyone or it may or may not be an adjustment that somebody can easily make. Do, do you have to does a company have to rethink perhaps even how they hire and onboard people so that that promotes a culture and a mindset of autonomy from day one? And if so, how do those things change? Yeah, this again, I'll mention Nicole Pereira and her, her journey. She takes, she says it takes people about nine months to kind of transition from the regular way of working to a more autonomous Work and that's just for like an individual employee. So when she hires them, she then thinks about how what's the transition from getting someone prepared for their job. So for in this example, in her company, Remotish, uh, somebody will start working forty-hour weeks when they first join, and their core competency, their core work, is thirty hours of that. But they have ten hours of training until they can reach certain benchmarks, right? So essentially, they phase themselves out of the forty-hour work week as they become more efficient in their job. And then eventually they are part of the rest of the group that is doing 30 hours. And I, I love that approach because she also communicates that from the very beginning of the, the, uh, of the recruitment process of the hiring process that we are an autonomous organization. We know that's not for everybody. We know some people want to, uh, um, some people want a different type of work environment. Great. Cause that's what we're used to. Great. You just, just know that that's not, this is not our place. Like our place is, this is how we're going to operate 30 hours a week. We have transition periods. We have supports in place. We, and she, she creates incredible wiki articles to pretty much tell people how to do every single thing they need to do. And again, there's buffer time and buffer room for mistakes for people to transition. But I think to your, to your direct question, it's the more you can communicate that up front, the better. It's really interesting that right now a lot of um, hiring processes are kind of like lying contests. It's almost like dating in the beginning. People are like, oh, this is who I am. And then the company's like, this is our culture. And then they, they get to the next day. You're like, oh, we both just lied to each other. This sucks. So You don't the look more, the way you did on your Tinder profile. Yeah, you right? don't look this way. Like <laughs> what? You, yeah, there's a, and I think that that mismatch is what starts to create friction almost immediately and, and, and back to the lack of trust. So I love when Nicole's doing her team and any organizations who are saying, here's who we clearly are. And anybody who wants to be a part of that, then they know what they're getting themselves into. And you brought up something that I think is important. Um, my experience is that there are people in this world who don't want autonomy, that they don't want to have to engage their brain for whatever reason. I, I feel badly for those people, but they exist. Um, are, are are those people, I mean, is that truly what they want or have they been so conditioned that they don't strive for anything better? And, and I guess the core of my question, the, the question I was ultimately going to get to is, is if somebody has that mindset, is it worth the effort to try to change them into an, uh, into, into a mindset that embraces and really requires autonomy to thrive? Or is somebody like that, kind of not likely to make it 
and you're better off kind of helping them find their next thing. Am I being too cynical or is that a, is that a legitimate question? I think it's, I mean, it's a legitimate question. I think I, I wouldn't feel bad for those folks. That means we'd be judging that their version of working is not the, uh, is not our version. I mean, we can, yeah, acknowledge okay, that we can you know, we can, I think we, I just want to really promote a world where we can disagree again. It's like, that's like for us a very important. It's like, great. You can want to work 40 hours. Fantastic. That's, that's how you are. That's great. If we, for some people, I think of a version of, hey, I go to work. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. No one bothers me. I just do it. And then I leave. That technically is a version of autonomy, right? Think about the leaders like ourselves who are like, yeah, I go to work. Maybe I still work 30 hours, but I'm still thinking about my business and whatever, you know, if an emergency comes up, I still am available. That's, that's, but that still free, feels freer to me than working 50, 60 hours a week. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's just better for the individual to understand what structure they thrive in the best and for the companies to be able to communicate that. Cause that, that person who does the, the, the anchoring 40 hours a week, for example, in, in the coal structure, um, the, the, uh, the 30 hours are spread across four weeks or sorry, it's a, so for a month that has four weeks, it'd be 120 hours, right? So that means if I'm working 30 hours a week, I do spread that over four weeks. Great. For that person who wants to work 40 hours a week, they might actually have a three week month. And then they're done. And it's like, great. So see you. <laughs> you get a week off every month. I mean, so they might just spread it out slightly different. And so I love the idea of, of setting it up that way to say, hey, we're not going to. That's Again, that's, she doesn't. I don't think she gives people the ability to do that 40 hours. I think she wants to cap it. But th- th- there's flexibility in that space. And you can have Nicole on to, to flesh this out a little bit further. But the idea being there's a, there's a, there's a way we can support those kind of folks, too, if, that, if they believe that's their version of autonomy, there's have to be able to to um, navigate within the systems. As long as they can do that, I'm fine with that. It you know it, it's very interesting you bring this up. It's interesting how timing works sometimes. So I have a coach as well, and one of the one of the things that he espouses and we're adopting is the concept of a 12 week sprint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right now. There are only 12 of those in a 52-week year, right? Even I can do that math. (laughs) And then the question is, what do you want to do with the other four weeks? And and one of the things I've tasked my team with is tell me what they want as a reward for hitting the goals after those 12 weeks, right? And for many, I mean, I know one, he basically said, I want cash. I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's fine. We'll we'll figure out the cash. Right. But for others, myself included, it might be a, it might be a week sabbatical. It might be a special project or, or just taking a week off. And, um, I don't feel like that benefit has to, or even should be the same for everybody on my team because everybody values something different mm-hmm. and it costs me nothing, almost nothing to vary it for everybody. As long as I just keep it balanced, and there's not somebody getting a disproportionate benefit. Then you get into equity again. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I think we're smart enough to manage that. Great. Good job. But, I mean, you're giving people a solid example of like autonomy of reward. Yeah. Like we don't all even like to be appreciated the same way. How do we expect that everybody wants the same reward for, for working 12 weeks straight and doing all, you know, doing the, the sprints? That, you know what? That's, that's, that's exactly right. And again, a really smart comment that I want to pause on. You know, there are some people, there are some people, for example, that um, love praise, right? If they do a great job, they would love it. If you just sent an email throughout the entire company, this person just did a great job and I want to show my appreciation and admiration for the job that they did. Another person 
maybe an introvert and just hates public attention. Right? They don't, they don't want that. They don't need that. They would much rather have an Outback Steakhouse gift card or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and, and you're right. I didn't even thought of that. See, now I'm getting free consulting from you, which is great on this podcast. <laughs> So um, help people make the decision, right? <laughs> but I, yeah, but let you know, you know, let let people let people pick the reward that's meaningful to them. And I, I don't know if you could do that if you're a Microsoft. Maybe you can, just not smart enough. But certainly with with me running a six person organization, I certainly could. Well, thing is, you, even as you build the conversation, right? That's so. From us back to what you're talking about the hiring, one of my favorite interview questions is asking people, "How do you like to be appreciated for a job well done?" Yeah, and right at the and most people, it, they actually struggle to answer that question because they're not asked that, especially in an interview. Yeah, and for us, it's like boom, we get to put it in our system, and we know we we may not be able to do every single thing they ask, like you said, like we do have to pace ourselves based on well how we're growing and in, in our income. And but the the point is, people feel like oh, they actually care about what I want and what's important to me, and they're and and this. I think that that's why we love the autonomy conversation. It just broadens the perspective that, yeah, we started talking about time. We started talking about system. Now we're talking about appreciation and really supporting the individuals on your team to do their best work. If we're not doing that, what are we doing? I'm talking with Kimmy Joseph, and the topic today is, should I give my employees more autonomy? Um, you mentioned something a little while back that I want to come back to because I think it's important. Is it, is it reasonable to expect in the initial phases of increasing autonomy that we might see more mistakes being made? And it's interesting as you describe mistakes, I would want to get a little bit more clarity on the mistakes, right? If people have been doing their jobs, right, and then it's now you're saying, hey, we're just going to give you some more decision-making power, the mistakes might come if there's still lack of clarity around decisions. Like we just, I had a client I was speaking to yesterday and she mentioned that she gave someone asked to step up in as a leader for this one RFP they were writing, and the person totally made mistakes. They just didn't do it well. And as we were reflecting more, they hadn't actually had a roadmap to teach that person what it takes to do a successful RFP. In fact, they were so good at making it look easy that this person thought it was easy, right? So, yeah. so then there was a huge, a lot of mistakes that happened. There was there wasn't a fully communication of here's the stages that you need to go through and let's let's help your decision making process be aligned with ours so that when we look at your work and we review it we we can get it closer to that same page and so that's what we well, that's what we spoke about yesterday to help her reframe like hey you actually did a really good job making it look easy and from that perspective your team probably does not know what it takes to actually do what you do or to do to make those kind of decisions so part of that will be. There may be an increase of mistakes. I would reframe it as, as you transition, make sure there's an increase of clarity on how certain decisions or processes are, are done in order for people to then be able to follow along with less mistakes. And, and to me, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like as much as anything, process building and training. And, and the mistakes, provided they aren't catastrophic, can actually provide, can actually be quite informative. Right, because those mistakes are likely telling you that some something has broken down or something was broken down all along mm -hmm. that you're able to cover up with excessive effort and micromanagement mm -hmm. that you no longer have the luxury of doing if you're committed to go to gaining the benefits of autonomy. <laughs> yeah, if you're committed. I mean, we we hired somebody and who's who's taking over some of our sales roles and 
And I realized, like, oh, I had to actually pause. And I did have to be kind of work double time to onboard her in the way that really she can take it over. And so people kind of think about that time and like, oh, I have to work double. It's like, yeah, in the beginning, but now she's, you know, she even coordinated this stage and there's there's stages I'm on now that I'm like, oh, great. I didn't even know. I'm just, it's just on my calendar now. <laughs> Fantastic. Versus all the hours I would take to coordinate with stage hosts and all that. And to me, experiencing that autonomy was, is, was worth the extra time I had to put in to actually train her. But again, that is required no matter what. If you're not putting time to train people, again, what are you? We're not leading them. We're just setting them up for failure. And then we're going to get upset because we're having to do the double work. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 can, you can put in some work now or a lot of work later over mm-hmm. a long period of time. Yeah, that, that's why in our practice, almost all of our training is done by video. Um, we're having to redo them, some of them now cause they're getting out of date, but yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if, as, if our training, pro- if our, if our training process is done well and our video library is current, we should be able to tell any employee here, here's what we need you to do and go look at videos two, five, nine, and 14. Come back to me if there are any questions. And then start and, building in that. Yeah. Absolutely. And employees love it. They love it because one, employees don't like to come back to a boss and ask questions, especially if they're new. They want to feel perfect and they don't want to look fallible in any way, right? Uh, and and also, you know, people, again, in terms of autonomy, people keep different schedules, right? You may love to work at six in the morning. Well, I'd rather you not call me at six in the morning yeah. to ask me that question. <laughs> but if you can look at that video on your phone, right, and you can stop and rewind it, pause it, whatever you want, right, that, that's been a tool for us. Anyway, the point is, is that it's it's an illustration of how mm-hmm. how simply doubling down on training can and your training processes can make autonomy so much more effective. Yeah, and then people can actually like talk about, hey, I didn't understand this part of the video. And if you keep getting that feedback, yep. great, go and change that video, right? It's like the, if multiple people are saying this one video doesn't make sense or I'm I'm confused yeah. or it's outdated, then we can just spot check that piece. It's one thing that you, that's coming to mind is to really communicate to folks of we're investing in our autonomy, right? Yeah. And when we think about investing, we we literally pay right now for future benefits, and you know the ROI doesn't have to take as long. Like I said, for our team, we're experiencing it in about two months, and it's like we have a small team. You say you have six person team. The bigger your team, the longer it might take to fully feel that. But right now, we're asking people to invest in autonomy versus feeling like they have to sacrifice and be a martyr. It's like no, no, no. This is going to benefit you too. You just have to invest in that autonomy. Um, what what company, and this could be a client of yours or somebody you just watch from afar, but is there a company that in your mind has done really well with employee autonomy that's sort of a, they're exhibiting best practices in your mind? Yeah, I would, I would refer back to Nicole Pereira at Remotish. Is she... Um, it's been interesting to just be guided by her and just seeing the structure she built. They remotish as a, a HubSpot consultancy agency, and they do some phenomenal work. I mean, just mm-hmm. even the, their hiring and onboarding from us looking at it from a DEI perspective, like, wow, she's been doing so many things without calling it DEI. But the idea of anchoring around autonomy and giving her, this is why I've been referring to examples from her, giving her team about a 90 or a nine month runway, say, hey, if you're coming in and you've never worked like this before, it might take you nine months to make that transition. So clearly communicating that, but then having wiki articles, videos, like testimonials, things that allow their team to actually learn at their own pace. And as I mentioned, even setting benchmarks to say, 
you can come down from 40 hours to 30 hours when you can prove you can do blank, blank, blank. So the process is so mapped out that that we've been talking about collaborating for how do we bring more of her information. So just when people, just a heads up, people who look at this, look at our company, like how they operate. They're not an agency doing this and saying, hey, we want to uh, we want to teach people about time as a benefit. She's choosing to teach us about that because we saw the way she operates. It was like, wow, we're super impressed. We're also, um, as we measured autonomy, we looked around to try to find who's helping companies do that. We have not found that many companies. Um, they talk about, you know, transitioning to remote. But again, as we just discussed, some people are remote, but they're not autonomous still. Right. So the idea of actually anchoring in an autonomy, uh, they've by far done it the best at remotest. They've done it the best we've ever seen. And we're excited to bring that to those kind of um, tools, resources and coaches to more folks. I mean, we're running up against our time limit and mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. And, and But it's been a great conversation. We didn't even get to a bunch of our questions, but <laughs> um, that, that's okay. I, uh, but I'm sure that there are questions that either our listeners would have liked me to have asked, but didn't, or would have wished we spent more time on. If somebody wants to follow up with you on this question of, of employee and organizational autonomy, uh, are they welcome to do so? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Absolutely. I love how you did the plug for LinkedIn earlier. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can visit our site directly, fearsadvantage.com. And there is a Thrive Leadership Assessment. Like This is the, literally the first thing we'll tell anybody to do. It's a free assessment. It gives you a chance to measure how much autonomy you currently have in relation to the other 10 aspects of thriving that we mentioned earlier. And to me, that we, we built it in a way that even if no one ever talks to us, they can get some insights on their own experience and, and then be able to share that with their team as a great level setting conversation. So all of that's at fearsadvantage.com. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Kemi Joseph so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.